Okay, so this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're starting with verse 16 this morning. So let's open up with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the things we can learn from it, uh, for the instructions you give us. And we just pray this morning that uh, as we do study your word, that you'll open our eyes to understand and to apply it in our own hearts and in our lives, that we would not see and not do, but that we would carry out your word. Lord, we thank you for this time. Pray you bless us in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so in our context, uh, we'll start reading in verse 10 and read through the end of the chapter. Chapter 3, verses 10 through 23. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. But each one take care of how he builds upon it. 1 Corinthians 3, well, verse 11. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. That is what you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is <coughs> foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apotemus, or Cephas, or the world of life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Okay. So last week we covered verses 10 through 15, and this is what's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's not called that here. We looked ahead in 2 Corinthians. Paul refers back to the same judgment, and that's where he calls it the judgment seat of Christ. So when, when you hear these terms, uh, judgment seat of Christ, that's what we have here where believers, are, their works are judged. And God looks at, you know, are, are we doing it for God's glory? Are we doing it in obedience to him? Do we benefit the church? If so, it's gold, silver, and precious stones and we'll be rewarded for that. On the other hand, if we're more interested in just showing 
how good we are by you know giving money and, and getting uh, acclaim for that or or how we uh, teach or you know the works we do if it's for our own glory or if it's something that's destructive or not useful this wood hay and stubble we don't get rewarded for that um, it does say that we'll you know our, our works might get burned up but we're still saved this is not a, a judgment of who's going to heaven who's going to hell it's not that kind of a judgment um, in the book of Revelation we have in chapter 20 there's the great white throne judgment where that is determined where God determined who, who is cast into hell because of rejection of Christ so that's basically what we looked at uh, last week was that white great uh, excuse me judgment seat of Christ and so this morning we're starting in verse 16 and this looks almost like a little bit of a different topic, but it's, it's actually, when you look in the context, it, it follows pretty well. So verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. So we've had this analogy of a building, and so that continues here. But he becomes more specific. It's not just a building, but it's the temple. And the word that he uses for temple specifies that it's uh, the, the holy place, the temple itself. Not the whole region around the temple, the, the grounds, but the temple building itself. And he begins the, with the phrase, Do you not know? It was interesting... I've seen that before, but the commentary says in, a, in 1 Corinthians, Paul uses that phrase 10 times. Mm -hmm. Don't you know? Don't you know this? He uses it in one other place in the whole New Testament. I'm not sure it's always positive you say it that way. No. <laughs> the, other, the other place, let's, let's look at Romans chapter 6. Someone like to read verse 16. Okay, so this is the only other place he uses it. And it's, see how important this is? Don't you know? If you obey sin, you're a slave to sin. You know, uh, And so it's something important that they ought to know. Yeah, it be, uh, softens it. <laughs> For we know. For we know, yeah. Oh, yeah, that is a lot. I think there's a sense of exasperation <laughs> in Paul. He says, I taught you this, guys. <laughs> Don't you know? So... Uh, you know, this is a warning. Um, they ought to be obeying this. And so what, what's going on? Have they forgotten it? Or are they deliberately disobeying? You know, we're not told here, but, you know, there's consequences. Um, so they ought to know this stuff. So Paul reminds them of the fact that they are the temple of God. Uh, and it's plural, they, you all, is, you know, good southern tense, y'all are the temple of God. Um, in Greek you have a singular you and you have a plural you. This is the plural you. You all are the temple of God. Now, 
when we get to chapter 6, there, Paul will have a, a warning where he refers to individuals as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's a prohibition against uh, prostitution. And so he's talking to individuals. Each of us is a temple of God. But here it's plural. And so he's talking about, um, it's either the, the, the whole church at Corinth or the universal church. The people of God. We're the temple of God. And that's typically how he uses this. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. And this is a passage, I think we've looked at it at least a couple times before. Every time we look at it, there's a different part of the verse that we emphasize. Ephesians chapter 2, and would someone like to read verses 19 through 22? 19 through 22. Now therefore, <clears throat> you are no more strangers and foreigners, but citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, <clears throat> in whom all the building coupled together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together to be the habitation of God by the Spirit. Okay, so when Paul writes this in uh, Ephesians, he's talking about um, how God revealed the mystery through the apostles and prophets, including himself. And the mystery was that the Gentiles, together with the Jews, are now God's temple. The Gentiles were always excluded from the Jewish temple. Dogs. Yeah, they called them dogs, yes. I always remember my, my mom had a friend who was a, she was Jewish background, but she was a believer. One time she talking about how they considered Gentiles to be dogs. And, and the way she spit the word out. <laughs> you understood the connotation. <laughs> um, but, you know, even uh, when, when Paul went to the temple in Jerusalem, they had a court of the Gentiles, which is furthest one out. Remember the riot that started because they said that he brought, I think it was Titus, into the temple grounds? You can't do that. The, the Gentiles were excluded. So here, the, you know, the, the mystery in Ephesians is that God is bringing the Gentiles actually to make them part of the holy temple. That was unheard of. So, you know, here he's talking about not just the Ephesian church, but the universal church. Now let's look at uh, one other verse, 1 Peter. I like to look at some of these other books because it's not just Paul that says this. Peter says it too. First Peter chapter 2. Someone like to read verses 4 through 6. Coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Okay, so we see, you know, this is so similar to our passage in 1 Corinthians. We see Christ is a cornerstone. He's the foundation. That's what we talked about last week. And then we're being built together to be a, 
Um, here he calls it a, a house for a holy, a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Well, that's the temple. He doesn't use the word temple, but it means the same thing. So this is an image that we, we see in other places in Scripture, too. So verse 16, um, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, can be uh, applied to you know, individuals. We'll see that in chapter 6. It can be applied to the church at Corinth, God's people in Corinth, or it could be applied to the universal church, to all of us uh, that were temples of, of Christ. And the, a couple of the commentaries made a, a, a good argument here that Paul is specifically addressing God's people in Corinth at this time. They're the ones who are having the difficulties. He's dealing with them, and so he applies it to them. You, people in Corinth, you are the temple of God. And the reason, the argument for this is when you, when you look at Corinth, were there other temples in Corinth? There were lots of other temples, right. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, we'll have chapters, I think, 8 and 10, both deal with what about meat from the sacrifices in all these pagan temples? Can we eat it? You know, so we know there's other temples there. But are they real temples? Are they, are they the true temple? No. There's only one true temple in Corinth. And that temple in Corinth are these saints. You know, they, they may have had a house church. You know, not a big fancy temple, but it was them. They were the temple of God in Corinth. And so that's why he's addressing them specifically. Um, and we know that because as verse 16 goes on, it says, the Spirit of God dwells in you. God's Spirit dwells in his temple. So when they gather together, like, like we're here, God, you know, God's spirit is here. You know, we are the temple of God in Cold Creek Valley right now because his spirit is here amongst us. Um, well, look at a couple of verses about this. Let's, let's look at Romans 8.11. This is part of the, don't you know this? Romans 8.11. Well, I'll read that for us. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. Okay. This is one of those, don't you know this? <laughs> the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Okay. So we nail that down. Let's go to the Old Testament. Let's look at Exodus chapter 40. <laughs> So we'll look at, we'll be going to the Old Testament a few times as we talk about the temple. 40, 40, yes. Exodus chapter 40. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to like to read verses 34 and 35 here. <clears throat> then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Okay, so how did the Jews know that the tabernacle was God's temple? His, 
like his glory was there. His spirit was there. His glory was in the temple, in the tabernacle. So that's how they knew that that was God's uh, tabernacle. Um, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And some like to read verses 7 and 8. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous degrees and laws as this body of laws? I am setting before you today. Okay. Whatever nation has God in their midst, they actually know that the temple is in their midst. And so that's the same thing we have in Corinth. The one true temple was the collection of believers there. Um, so going on, uh, I'll explain that more in verse 17. Um, first, I'm going to go to the end of verse 17, um, where he says, For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Okay, so he's emphasizing again that you are the temple of God. Um, this confirms that. But he also talks about the temple of God is holy. So the temple is set apart for God, and it's not to be defiled by any, uh, anything that's sinful or, or even just common usage. It's holy and, and set apart for God. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 64. Talk about God's, the, the holiness of the temple. What does God's word say about that? Isaiah 64, would someone like to read verse 11 for us? Our holy and beautiful temple, where our fathers praise you, is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Okay, so this is, he's foretelling the destruction of Jerusalem and when Nebuchadnezzar burns the temple. But he calls it our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you. So that was their temple, and it was holy. Let's look at Habakkuk chapter 2. I think Habakkuk is right before Zechariah. Or close. <laughs> Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. That's Haggai, excuse me. So we got to go back before Zephaniah. There's two H, there's HZ and HZ at the end of, at the end of the Old Testament. Do that helpful? What? Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. Someone like to read that. Okay, you see the contrast between the idols and these all these other temples, chunks of wood, chunks of stone, you know, there's other places God says, they can't do anything. 
They can't even, you've got to carry them around. <laughs> they can't move. They can't do anything. But Habakkuk says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. He's the true God, and his temple is the only true temple. So we see, uh, we're going to go back to Leviticus here in a second. Um, the temple in the wilderness was holy, and God fiercely defended that holiness. We'll look at a couple examples of that. Leviticus chapter 10. Someone like to read verses 1 through 3. Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in, in it and laid the incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded him. And the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Okay. So we have these two sons of Aaron who think that they can worship God any way they want to. And God burns them up. And he says to, to Aaron, you know, those who come near me, I will be treated but as holy. Treat me as holy. So we see God's fierce protection of his holiness here as he destroys these two men who were presumptuous in how they worshipped. Um, let's turn in Leviticus to chapter 16. Someone would like to read verses 1 through 4. Furthermore, the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they came to offer before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. After this sort shall Aaron come into the holy place, even with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Through four? Yes, please. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle and shall cover his head with a linen mitre. These are the holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water when he doth put them on. Okay. And if he does not follow all these instructions to the T, what happens? You're going to die. <laughs> See how specific God is here? You will treat me as holy. This is exactly how you come in, and this is when you come in to my presence. It's very specific. And God was really here emphasizing his holiness. In Corinth... God will also defend his holiness. And that's what we have back in verse 17 at the first part of the verse. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. So this, I mean, we've just seen in Leviticus how serious God takes this. Now the word translated destroy here 
Usually in scripture it is translated as corrupt, to corrupt something or to defile something. I just want to look at a couple of verses where we see this same word but used in a different context. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Someone like to read verse 33. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Okay, bad company corrupts good character. Good morals. That's our same word. It's used as to corrupt, to defile. And in a sense, if you've got good character and it's been corrupted, you've destroyed good character, it's no longer good. Um, let's also look at Ephesians chapter 4. And someone like to read verse 22. Ephesians. Yes. <laughs> you can corrupt good character very quickly. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Okay. Our old manner of life, our old self, is corrupted. It's defiled. Um, it's no longer holy. So that's how this word is used everywhere else. So um, how are the uh, Corinthians corrupting their temple? How are they defiling it? That was defiling it because the temple was God's presence in that. Yeah, we had jealousy, strife, boasting. Those are all terms that Paul's been using. Um, back at the beginning of the this chapter, you know, I, I could not speak to you as spiritual men, but men of flesh. Um, so there's uh, verse three. You're still fleshly. There's jealousy, strife. You're fleshly, walking like mere men. So that's how they defiled the, the temple of, of God that was in Corinth uh, because they were acting just like unbelievers. And, and the temple there was supposed to be uh, like a, a beacon of light of God's holiness to the Corinthians. You know, the whole city should look at the, this collection of believers and say, there's something good here. There's something holy here. There's something special here. But they couldn't because the Corinthians were acting just like everybody else. They had defiled God's holiness. He was no longer set apart as something special. He was just like everybody else. Let's go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, here Paul is talking about the moralist, which is basically the Jews who were so proud of their morality. Um, Romans chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Someone read those for us. You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. Okay, that's good. So this is this is a horrible condemnation. You know, he says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. God's name is blasphemed because of you. You know, you're supposed to be God's light to the world, but instead you're a source of blasphemy. 
because you're defiling God's holiness because of the way you live. And so this is serious. Now, as far as the Corinthians, you know, God says, he'll destroy or defile them. Um, and this, this is serious. It sounds serious, and it is serious. Um, so what happened when we were in Leviticus, when they defiled God's temple, what happened? They died, right? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We read this every communion. 1 Corinthians 11, someone like to read verse 30 for us. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Okay. That does not mean they're just dozing off in church. <laughs> sleep. Sleep means dead. <laughs> that's, that's Paul's term for believers who have physically died. They, are, they have gone to sleep. Versus unbelievers who perish, who are utterly destroyed. Believers who sleep. They were dying. And in, in that case, you know, we've talked about how they abused the communion services with, you know, eating like a bunch of selfish pigs. And God says, oh, I'm not going to put up with that. And they died. Some got sick, some suffered, some died because of that. So that's a fulfillment of what he's saying here, you know. If you defile God's temple, God's going to destroy God's holiness. He'll destroy you as well. Now, some of the commentaries um, said that verses 16 and 17 were really re referring to unbelievers who were attacking the church from outside. You know, you know that's possible. That, and I and I think you can apply it to that because. As unbelievers attack the church, God defends his people. You know, and he might destroy them as outside attackers. But I think in context, Paul's addressing the Corinthians. You know, you're supposed to be a witness to me in, in Corinth. And you're not. You're, you're, you're just defiling my holiness. You're defiling my temple. And so I'm going to d destroy some of you who, who need it. So... Okay, now going on to the next section. Uh, we've got a break here between 17 and 18. So verses 18 through 23 is, you know, looking at the commentaries, they, they'll title different sections. And one call, calls this the conclusion of the matter. Basically that this is a summary of everything that's been going on for the first three chapters. Um, MacArthur calls it how to eliminate division. The church was divided, so here he says, here's the problem, and here's how you take care of it. And so those are both kind of wrapped up together here. Now this passage, you, you can, we can divide it into two parts because of a phrase where it says, let no one. So looking at verse 18, let no man deceive himself. And then down below at verse 21, so that let no one boast. So those are the two sections. So the first section is 18 through 20. It says, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become foolish that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. 
And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So these verses, again, deal with the contrast between the wisdom of the world versus God's wisdom. And Paul begins by warning them against being deceived. Um, and deception is such an easy thing to fall into. You know, we, all of us are probably right now deceived about something. Or we've been told and we believe a certain thing and it's not true. And the problem with deception is we may not know that it's not true. <laughs> you know, if you know something's not true and you believe it anyways, it's like, well, there's a little red flag here. Real deception means we don't know. There might be something that we really cling on to and we think is right, but we've been deceived. Um, and so Paul's saying, don't be deceived here. And he's telling, and he's going to make it very clear what they're deceived about and so that they know about it. It's not unknown. Um, so we need, really, the solution is constantly look at God's word. Um, we challenge ourselves wherever our, something doesn't seem right. You know, I'll, I'll be reading through, especially through some of the Old Testament, and God says, go and utterly destroy these people. And I'm thinking, well, that doesn't seem right. That's because I have a certain belief system that doesn't match God's. God has a reason for that, and it's the right thing to do. And so I have to challenge myself and say, why, do I, why am I thinking differently than God here? Um, and sometimes we need to challenge each other. And you might look at me and say, Daryl is going down this direction, and it's not right. And so you can have to say, you know, you might, might want to think about this. So we can challenge each other as well. So I was going to go through uh, concordance and look at the word deceive and deception. There are so many verses <laughs> about this because you know, it's such a problem. <clears throat> so <coughs> I picked out a couple. First Corinthians, let's turn to chapter 6. I'm looking at this one because it was a problem the Corinthians had and it's something that we have in the current culture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Someone like to read verses 9 and 10 for us. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. So how many churches do you see around town that says, we welcome everyone? They're, they're deceived. They are deceived. Um, you know, God is not that welcoming. <laughs> the sexually immoral, Christ died for them, to save them. You know, God doesn't hate them. That's a, another lie you hear in the world. That, that because God says, this is not, this is immoral, it's not right. And I said, well, God must hate them then. No, that's not true. Um, that was one of the, when we, we put up a new church sign out on the road and it says, welcome. That's been cut down a little bit. I, I pushed back on that because 
I've seen too many of these signs that say, we're welcoming everybody. We're a welcoming church, which usually means if you're gay, you're, you'll be fine here. Yeah. So I didn't want that to be too big. I mean, you, you still want, yeah, we still want people to say, okay, we're, it's nice to have you come. We welcome you in, but we're not a welcoming church. Does it say welcome on the sign? It says welcome, yeah. But originally when the, uh, we had gone to a local sign shop and he'd set it up and it had a longer phrase there. And it's like, no, let's trim that down a little bit. Yeah. We don't, no. Okay, so that's one example. Let's go to Titus 3.3. 3. Titus chapter 3, and someone like to read verse 3 for us. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Okay. Uh, New American Standard says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, and deceived. So this is, is part of our old nature being deceived. You know, we were deceived along with all these other things that we, we did. So it's natural for us to be deceived. So that's why we have to be so uh, careful about it. Where does this deception come from? Lots of different sources. Let's go to James chapter 1. <coughs> James chapter 1. Someone like to read verse 22 and verse 26. Not the whole phrase, but just 22 and 26. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone thinks that he is religious and not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Okay, where does the deception come here? We deceive ourselves. Right. We're self-deceived. That's part of our old nature. Uh, so that's one place to watch out for. We deceive ourselves about something. We may have a favorite sin and we try to redefine it so that it's not that bad and we can continue doing it. And, we, yeah. um, and here James is saying, you know, you're, you're supposedly religious, but you don't do the things you know you ought to be doing. You're deceiving yourself. You're making excuses for not doing what you know you should be doing. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And someone like to read verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. Okay. So, looking at the context, verse 2, uh, don't be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us for the effect that the Lord, day of the Lord has come. So, this is the effect of false teachers. They've been sending this information to the Thessalonians, telling them the day of the Lord's come. You know, the You've missed it. <laughs> You've missed the resurrection. Uh, and Paul is straightening them out. So deception can come from false teachers. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
Second Corinthians chapter 11, someone like to re- read verse 3 for us. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Okay, so where did the deception come in this case? It was Satan. Okay. So deception can come from many different sources, and we have to be on guard for it. Again, what is our best protection? The Word of God. God, Knowing God's Word. Spending time reading it, making sure you know it well and you're familiar with it. Okay, so that covers our beginning of the verse where he says, uh, don't deceive, or don't deceive himself. Okay, so here we got self-deception in verse 18. So we'll look next time at what is the content of this deception. What, what is the lie that these people believe? So we'll look at that next time. Okay. Joe, would you like to close for us? Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word speaks to us. We thank you. It's a living word. Lord, we just pray, Lord, that it gives instructions. Let us be obedient to follow what you have us to do. That we won't have fall into that um, deception and fall into that um, sin of omission of not doing the things you want us to do. But let us be obedient and follow what you have for us. Thank you for this hour. Pray for the next hour. And Robert brings us the message. Pray that we are here ready to receive what you have for us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>